Show me the science with Professor Luke O'Neill. Hello, Luke O'Neill here, and welcome to my show, Me the Science podcast. Now, this week, I'm going to talk about the science of deadly viruses. Now, you're going to go, oh, not viruses again. But remember, viruses are really interesting to us immunologists. Um, They have all kinds of interesting properties to do all kinds of things in our body. And obviously, COVID-19 has been very much in our minds. Um, And my lab continues to work on COVID-19, by the way. I'm not going to talk about COVID much on this. I will will include it in in our discussion for obvious reasons. I'm going to mainly talk about other viruses. So in some ways, our topic this week is the science of deadly viruses. What's been the most deadly virus of all time kind of thing. Now, you've all seen these movies, Outbreak, and you've heard of the 1918 pandemic. You may have heard of Ebola even. So they're kind of things that we keep an eye on and they are the subject of some of these um, almost horror movies in a way because we're quite frightened of them, you know. And they are a fascination, let's face it. And in fact, all through human history, have been afflicted by viruses and uh, the view there's a view out there that says human history was governed by them because they would often wipe out loads of people in a population ancient Rome was beset by smallpox for instance and that affected how that society developed so from a historical point of view viral infections are also of interest in relation to plagues and various things so there's various elements I guess to the world of viruses and what viruses do but our topic today is the deadly ones which have been the most deadly viruses that we've ever been sort of exposed to as a species. And remember, they keep cropping up. And again, who would have thought that COVID-19 would have come along in the year 2020, as you all know. That was a brand new virus that jumped into us humans and caused the COVID-19 pandemic. Equally, all through history, you can date to when certain viruses jump into humans, you know. Influenza, and you're all familiar with flu, because we've all had the flu from time to time, that probably jumped in the 14th century kind of thing into humans, you know. And it wasn't there before, so it's a brand new disease. So if you were around in the year 1000 or whatever, there was no flu, because the virus hadn't jumped into humans yet. Equally, of course, if you're around in 2019, there was no COVID-19, because that virus hadn't jumped yet either. So it seems to be happening. I mean, we, we see these viruses jumping, usually from animals where they live and they have a normal life and animals, I suppose you might say, they jump into humans and then they cause these illnesses. And that's the history of viruses, really, overall. Our exposure to animals, if you will, through agriculture or in the wild might give rise to a virus jumping from one animal into another where it will cause more illness and more disease is the overall idea here, I guess. But let's have a look at them now. How do we define a deadly virus? Well, obviously, the death rate is a big one. Now, with COVID itself, they reckon it's about 20 million deaths happen in the world in response to COVID-19, which is, which is obviously very significant. Uh, but what they talk about with, with regard to overall deadliness is a thing called the case fatality rate. Now, what that means is if you're a case, if, if you're shown to be infected, what percent of people who are infected are going to die? And obviously, the more deadly the virus, the more people will die from that case fatality rate. It's called the CFR is the jargon that we use for that. But it turns out that's not the only metric here. You can have a virus that may not have a very high case fatality rate. Let's say it's only... 5% of the population but it's very but if it's very transmissible and millions and millions and millions get infected then the total number of deaths will be high even though the case fatality rate is low if you see what I mean you see so we use that as a metric as well so it's quite hard to pin down sometimes we use the overall number of excess deaths that's the extra number of people who've died uh, because of a given infectious disease that can be used as well but then the other thing they talk about is as a percent of the earth's population then 
So let's say a virus comes along and it kills 20% of the Earth's population. That's a very serious thing, obviously, you know. But the trouble is, if there's only, let's say, 2,000 years ago, there was only, you know, half a billion people on the Earth, that wouldn't be that many people dying. It's, it's a high number as a, as a percentage, but the total number of deaths then is relatively low. So it's a complicated thing to pin down. I hope you appreciate uh, the different things that I use then to measure how deadly a virus is. And in fact, one way to do this probably is, let's start with the case fatality rate. So if you get a particular virus, which ones are the nastiest in terms of having a likelihood of it killing you? Well, guess what the ones are that are really dangerous? Rabies. They reckon the overall case fatality rate for rabies can be as high as 50%, and that's quite high, obviously. Now, this would be in normal, healthy people. If they get infected with rabies, there's a 50-50 there's a chance of survival. Now, again, that's a complicated thing to talk about because clearly if people are immunodeficient and their immune system isn't working properly, that are at higher risk of dying, as is the case with all of these things. Children and older people are always the ones we worry about because their immune systems aren't as active as, say, an adult's. A child's immune system has to develop. And as you get older then, like most things in your body, things go off the boil a bit and age and your immune system ages as well. So again, it depends on the, on the age of the person being infected. But still, rabies, quite serious uh, with that le overall level. Now, the great news, of course, is there's a vaccine for rabies. And, and if you're treated quickly, you can, you can decrease that massively. I'm talking about like as if you got rabies, say, 100 years ago, before there was any vaccines or treatments. There was a very high 50%, as I say, case fatality rate. Uh, the ones that are very high at the moment are Ebola, and you may have heard of that one, and Marburg. Now, those two viruses, uh, they range from 50, 60, 70, up to 90%. So the Marburg virus, if, you, if you're infected with Marburg, there's a 90% chance you're going to die from that virus. Very, very serious. Now, the good, the good news, if there is good news about these viruses, is you, you, know, you can tell people who have these viruses. It's only spread from people who are really, really sick. <laughs> so that means you can kind of contain it, you know. And as you may know, with things like Ebola, it's hemorrhagic. Bleeding starts to happen, and uh, the bleeding process is really ramped up in response to these Ebola, as an example. You know, so you can see people who are bleeding. You know, you can see blood in their, you know, in their skin and their eyes and various places, and you can isolate them and then stop it spreading. You know, so you can contain it. But even still, once you have Ebola or Marburg, it can be quite hard then to treat that patient, and hence the very worrisome aspect of it. So, in terms of nastiness, you'd have Ebola and Marburg are well up there in our list because because of this high case fatality rate. The next one, though, we want to talk about is influenza itself. Now, influenza still kills people, remember. There's still a vaccine, and, and of course, everybody should take the vaccine, especially older people who are vulnerable to flu. They should be vaccinated, of course, and there's a big campaign every winter, as you would know, to vaccinate against flu. Um, but flu itself can be absolutely problematic anyway. And 1918 is the one we all talk about. You've all heard of that one, I would say. The H1N1 type of flu influenza was the one that caused that. A third of the global population got infected at that time with that virus, amazingly. And there were at least 50 million deaths. So an awful lot of people died of influenza. More people died of influenza than in World War One, for instance, you see. Now, why was the death rate so high? Well, there were no antibiotics. And it turns out that when you have a viral infection, it weakens your immune system and you can get infected with bacteria and some, some die of a bacterial infection on the back of the flu. Now we can give people antibiotics to stop that happening, which is great, you know, that's the thing. And the other strange thing about that 1918 pandemic was it was younger people were dying. Now, what I, what I mean by younger people is people in their 20s. Now, normally, they have a very powerful immune system. 
you're in your 20s, you're as fit as a fiddle, unless you're, you're malnourished, you have other, other things wrong, uh, and you can fight infections very effectively, you know. But the trouble is, young people in their 20s were dying. Now, why was that? We think it was because the immune system went into overdrive, actually. And that particular H1N1 drove the immune system into a really activated state. So if you had very strong troops in your immune system and they really began to get activated, friendly fire. You know, you're dying of an overactive immune response. We think, and there's some evidence why there was such a death toll, where there was an overactive immune response that could kill you. So there was two reasons to die of flu then in 1918. One was either a weakened immune system or underdeveloped one, or it was overactive. And then that was a result of the death rate being very high in response to the, in the 1918 pandemic. If that came around now, of course, we get a vaccine very quickly and we could treat people in hospital in different ways to save them. You know, So the death rate wouldn't be quite so high now if that, was to, if that virus was to jump into humans now. Of course, eventually, the immune system's kicked in and now we have protection against these things. That, that, that 1918 strain eventually evolved a bit into other types of flu and it's still around, you know, but, but not causing quite so, much, um, quite so much death, I guess, is the way to think of it. Now, the next one I want to talk about is HIV. And that's the next in our list of deadly viruses. Uh, and you'll all be familiar with AIDS. In the 80s, terrifying disease. It was a virus that infected your T-cells. And the T-cells are a key part of your immune system, remember? They're, they're a very important way that we fight infection. And this virus decides to be the enemy within. It goes inside our T-cells and begins killing off our T-cells, and that's why you get immunosuppression. It's immunodeficiency. So the virus itself is actually turning off the immune response, and therefore you get all these other infections on top. And in fact, different types of cancer were happening in HIV patients as well, because, of course, our immune system is there to fight tumours, just as much as it is to fight infection. And a very serious, fatal disease. 40 million people have died of HIV overall. So we're getting up there like the 1918 pandemic, obviously, you know. Um, the case fatality rate, again, people infected with HIV and are left untreated 80%. So it's very high. So again, you know, a really nasty, nasty virus. Now, of course, the breakthrough came when drugs were discovered by drug companies that could kill the virus. These antiretroviral therapies get discovered uh, initially by Welcome and then GSK and other companies come along and there's a whole load of those now. And of course, the great news now is if you're diagnosed with HIV, you can take these antiviral therapies and people are living a long life now with those drugs, which is tremendous. There are some kind of what we call comorbidities that happen. It's not ideal, but still different vista entirely. This is now no longer a death sentence and people are living on these antiretroviral medications. Of course, we're still trying to find a vaccine to stop it in its tracks. That's very hard to do, though, because it targets your immune system. So, in other words, vaccines work by triggering the immune response. If the virus is killing off your T-cells, it's very hard to get a vaccine. But, but still, there's a bit of progress and we're hoping to get a vaccine in the end against HIV AIDS. Now, number three, we do list COVID next, actually, given this 20 million death toll. Um, but again, as a proportion of the Earth's population, then it's less serious than influenza. Because when the, when the 1918 pandemic was around, the Earth's population was a lot less, you know, than it is now. So proportionately then, you know, what, what COVID-19 has done has been less severe than flu. But still, about 20 million deaths at least. Hard to get a hard number on that. The case fatality rate we reckon now is about 1.1%. And that's mainly older people, of course, are driving that. So there's a 1 in 100 chance. Of course, as, much high, as you get older, that, that fatality rate goes up. And if you're in your 80s, it's much higher, you think. But overall, it's about 1%. But still, we have on our list of, um, of viruses that, that have done lots of harm to us, basically. And then the last one I want to mention then is smallpox. That's on the list as well. Now, smallpox 
was the curse of humanity for, for, for thousands of years, we think, by the way. You can find evidence of smallpox in Egyptian mummies, for instance. There's been a virus that's infected us for a long time. Very nasty virus. One in three die of smallpox. So again, your case fatality rate there is about 30%. Uh, there's a one in three chance of dying. Um, there's also a one in three chance of, if you survive, one in three will survive and have awful disfigured skin because it causes these horrible blisters in your skin. And then one in three get over it and their immune system works and they fight it. And there was always a mystery why that is. Uh, we think it's partly genetic. Some people are susceptible to it and some aren't because they've got different genes. Uh, but that one in three death rate was very, very high, you know. They reckon that there were 300 million people died of smallpox since 1900. So after 1900, when they start measuring this, 300 million people die of that virus. Now, again, it's unimaginable these days to think of uh, smallpox killing 300 million people over that time span, of course. Uh, but remember, infectious diseases were a major cause of death until the advent of antibiotics and vaccines. It was the main reason people died was infectious diseases and smallpox was a big cause of death. Now, guess what? The first vaccine comes along to stop smallpox. It's based on cowpox, which is like a weakened type of smallpox, trains the immune system to recognise smallpox and then you get infected with smallpox and you're protected. Talk about a hugely successful vaccine. And guess what? By 1977, it's the only infectious disease to be completely eliminated from the earth. A mass vaccination campaign began. Uh, WHO were heavily involved in this. And finally, in 77, they could say, we've got rid of smallpox from the face of the earth through vaccination. Now, it turns out it was a straightforward enough thing to achieve because when you get smallpox, a rash appears on your skin and can then start spreading. And of course, what they were doing was they'd see an outbreak in a village somewhere. They'd go in and immediately vaccinate everybody. And therefore, it wouldn't spread then from those who were infected into other people. So vaccination could be used very effectively there. Again, public health was part of this because wherever there was a case of smallpox, they went in and vaccinated everybody against this nasty virus. And this worked tremendously well. That's less likely to work with COVID because one of the most malignant features of COVID-19 was you can spread it without any symptoms. And that made it very hard to contain. You know, there's people walking around feeling healthy and they're spreading the virus. Maybe into an older person who then picks up the virus and then sadly has a, a poor outcome from that. With smallpox, different story. You'd have a rash and now you're spreading it, you know. So therefore you could, you could isolate that person and more importantly then deploy the vaccine in that community to protect those people who might be exposed to the virus. So again, a very successful campaign gets wiped out uh, and it's a wonderful story because, you know, instead of all millions and millions of people dying through history, smallpox then gets eliminated. There's two samples of smallpox remain, by the way. The Americans and the Russians kept a sample just in case, locked up in a lab somewhere. Uh, but now, of course, uh, we don't need it because this, this elimination campaign has been so tremendously effective uh, against this particular thing. And if there was an outbreak of smallpox again, we could, we could break out the vaccines and protect humanity from this. What was a very, very nasty virus? You know, it's in, in our, again, in our list of deadly viruses, smallpox is well up there with the rest of them. So there you have it. A, a rogues gallery, if ever there was one, of different viruses that afflict humanity different degrees of severity they're all the ones that we list as being the most deadliest of viruses that we've yet to discover and of course the great news overall is over the past what 50, 60, 70 years science has revealed a huge amount about viruses and how they work that's where the HIV meds came from to target the virus directly and then of course immunology was able to define vaccines to protect us against many of these things so if new viruses do appear as we saw with COVID-19 we can go very fast now and we can make 
vaccines quickly now because of what we learned from COVID-19. So the future of infectious diseases then would be as follows. If new viruses do appear that are nasty, hopefully we can get a vaccine quickly. And by the way, there's progress on vaccines for Ebola and Marburg as well. So so new vaccines will be deployed should a new infectious disease arise. So the, so the vista of hundreds and hundreds of millions of people dying as happened through history is a lot lessened because of all this great science that has happened. In the meantime, all this great immunology and virology has been very, very beneficial. So we've less to fear, really, overall, than we've, had, than we've ever had to fear all through our history as, 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 as a species, really. So the future then, therefore, as ever, has to be bright because of the science behind these things. But there you have it, the science of deadly viruses. Thanks as ever for listening. And remember, my podcast is available for download every Thursday and it's a News Talk production.